0: Well, I want to wish all the dads a uh, happy Father's Day uh, this morning. I'm glad you're here uh, to all the fathers in the house, and I hope you get spoiled silly uh, all day long today, and I thought maybe maybe this would be an appropriate morning to uh, make you suffer through, I mean, share um, a few Bible-themed dad jokes. Um, Yes. Oh, I the enthusiasm is overwhelming. Uh, this is going to be painful. All right. Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? It was uh, Samson. He brought the house down. All right. Number two, who was the smallest person in the Bible? Nihai Maya. Yes. All right. And finally, if you're looking for an ark, I know a guy. Sorry, that was bad. One worse than the next. So uh, let's move beyond that. And uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 15. Um, We are going to this morning look at a story that Jesus told to help us understand the heart of our Heavenly Father, to grasp our Heavenly Father's heart. And, and before we jump into that, let me just share what led up to this story. What was happening was Jesus was going out of his way to be with the same kind of people that the religious leaders, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were going out of their way to avoid the same people that Jesus was going out of his way to encounter and be with. And there was this like total disconnect. They're reading off completely different scripts kind of reminds me of a story. A, a, a pastor friend told me that um, his church was growing and he decided it was time to redesign the interior layout of the of the church, which happened to be a historical building um, because he wanted to fit more people. And when the historical society of that town found out about it, they kind of turned into the hysterical society. They, <laughs> they were not at all happy about this plan to mess up this historical landmark. And so uh, it came down to a head where the leader of the, the president of the historical society came and talked to him and he said, you know what your problem is, pastor? He said, your problem is you care more about the people than you do about this building. <laughs> and the pastor said, yes, exactly. That is exactly Right. And that's kind of what's happening here in this passage we're looking at. The Pharisees are accusing Jesus. You know what your problem is? You're you're eating with these degenerates, these sinners, these cast-outs, these no-good people. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. And I want you to understand why. And so with that, he launches into not one but three parables, three stories to, to share his heart. The first one was about this good shepherd who prioritized finding the one lost sheep over staying safe with the 99, the flock. And then a second story about the persistence of this woman who lost this one silver coin, and she would not stop. She refused to stop looking for it. She tore her house apart, front to back, bottom to top. And when she finally finds this lost coin, she calls up her neighbors. She throws a party. She celebrates this coin that had been lost that she found. Now, both of those stories, one of the common themes about them is that they are extreme. They're a little bit over the top or maybe even a lot over the top. And and that's the point. That's the point. Our heavenly father has this passionate enthusiasm about the lost being found. And he's not going to dial that down. And if we don't get that, we aren't going to get him. We aren't going to get Jesus because that's everything that he was about. And so, and so Jesus shares this last story. This one is about a lost boy, a boy who disowned his father, who, who walked away, went away, and blew it big time. And it's about how the father responds when his child comes back home. And this one highlights the depths of the father's love for his lost children. It shows how our heavenly father responds when anyone comes back home to him. And so there's good news for lost boys and girls that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you've wandered, when anyone returns, our heavenly father runs to receive them. And the question is, is there space in our lives for a heavenly father like that. Let's, let's read the story or look at how it starts. It says this, starting in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I don't know if you can feel the father's pain as you read through this story. If you're a father, you probably can. This this child, this son that he loved, that he brought up, that he raised, that he sacrificed so much for, is growing up, making his own decisions. And, and like most of us throughout our growing up years, our process of becoming from, you know, children to adults, boys to men, we, we don't always make the, deci- make, make the best decisions, and uh, I have plenty of examples about that from my own life. One that stands out was when I was uh, 16 years old, I had uh, a job waiting tables at the Friendly's restaurant in the Jefferson Valley Mall. Uh, there's a few of you who remember when there was a Friendly's restaurant there. And as a high school student, I was, I was doing really well. I mean, the tips were very good. I was coming home with a lot of money, enjoyed, enjoyed the job. Um, I went in one day. And they said, Brian, today we're not going to have you waiting tables. We're going to put you in the back dish room washing dishes. And I wasn't very happy about that. And I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, and right there on the spot, I quit. I walked out the door, I left, and I'm like, I'm through with you friendlies people. It, it was not one of my finest moments. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, no problem. I can get a job like that anywhere. Man, I was wrong. I couldn't. The only job I could find was in the men's department at Sears. And that is a horrible place to work. I was a cashier, and it was back when they had those cashier islands. Do you remember those? There was like an island. And, 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 and I was, like, subjected to that. I couldn't move. It, I, I don't believe in purgatory. But if I did, I'm pretty sure it would look a little bit like those cash register islands in the men's department at Sears because no one, no one ever came there. And if I wander just a little bit, someone would come along and say, get back to your cash register. It was like a jail cell. And, uh, and I longed to return to my friendlies days. And that's just how it went for me. We all have our moments, right? We we're so sure we've got it all figured out. We don't need any help. We don't need any more advice. I'm 16 years old. I got this. It's, it's almost a miracle that any of us make it past the teenage years, isn't it? Uh, in this story, the son is ready to cash out on his family, on his father. He wants to get his inheritance, and he wants to move on. And it's probably about the most disrespectful thing that you could ever ask a father for. You know, the only thing you're good for, the only thing about you that matters to me is the money that you are holding on to that I have coming to me. So dad, I would prefer not to hang out and wait around for you to die. So why don't you just hand it over to me now and I'll be on my way. That's the essence of what he's asking here, and and that's what happens. He gets what he asks for. The father gives it to him, and the son is out the door. He goes his way. He lives it up. He dives into debauchery and destructive lifestyle, bad choices, and eventually the money runs out. The money always runs out, right? And then a famine hits, The world shuts down. The doors that he assumed were going to be there to walk through and open up are all locked tight. And in short time, he has hit rock bottom. He lands a job feeding pigs. So just think about that next time you think your job is no good, right? This guy is so hungry that the slop that he's feeding to the pigs is starting to look good to him. Like, maybe I want a bite of that, but his boss doesn't even let him have a bit of what he's feeding the pigs. No one is giving him squat. Life is bad. It's about as bad as it can get. And uh, all of us, we've watched people make heartbreaking decisions, right? Choices uh, that make them eventually hit rock bottom. It's not a fun thing to, to be a part of. It's not a fun thing to watch, but it happens And this is this is the point of the story where the good news comes in. And the good news, well, first of all, is that the story doesn't end there. Because it could. It could, but it doesn't. As a matter of fact, it's what happens next. That's where the the real story starts. So this is not the story that we're used to hearing. We've heard the story before that so sorry you blew it. How do you like it now? In your face, right? Suck it up, deal with the consequences. That's not the story. This story is about a heavenly father who always welcomes his children home. And that means that our failures, they don't have to be final. So let's, let's read and see what happens next. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son has a rude awakening, and when he comes to his senses, the very first thought he has is it's about his father back home. What if? What, what if I went back home to dad? What if, I, what if I went back home to the father that I disowned? <coughs> he thinks that one through. Of course, he would never receive me as son. That, uh, that ship has passed. That's no longer an option. But even if he would just find it in the goodness of his heart to just take me in as a servant, that would be so much better than what I'm experiencing right now. And so he sets out for home and, and he's got nothing with him, nothing to show but his failures, his his brokenness, and his his shame. And as he's walking, he starts rehearsing. How is this conversation gonna go? How am I even gonna talk to my father? Start out with just laying it out. I blew it. I blew it. I know full well that I'm entitled to nothing, there's no excuses. Full ownership. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. That's a, its not a bad model of repentance. That's kind of what it looks like. And and this is the point where the where the story breaks wide open. You know, every parable has a has a punchline. There's there's something that happens that no one expects, right? Because no one expects the shepherd to leave the 99 sheep and go chasing after the one. It doesn't make sense, and no one expects a woman to throw a party after finding one lost client, but she does, and, and no one, especially this wayward son, would ever have expected the father to respond the way he does. Here's how it responds. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I don't know if you can just picture that scene and how it played out from the father's perspective. You can just picture him outside in the field and he's kind of just gazing off in the distance and he's looking at that same place where he watched his son walk away from. So long ago, watched him walk away and his heart is heavy, his body's still and, and every now and then he reaches up his hand to his eye and dries a tear and they're off in the distance, far away, he sees some kind of movement. There's this lone figure that's approaching. It's too far away to make out any features, but he's keep looking, he's locked in, and he picks up the gate in his stride. There's something about the way those shoulders are moving back and forth. It looks it looks vaguely familiar. Something in his heart leaps and he takes a step forward towards this approaching traveler and a few seconds later he realizes it that's my son he's back the father runs full stride to meet his son and as he closes he sees how beat up how broken down this boy of his has become and he envelops him in an embrace my precious child it's home Through tears of joy running down his face, he shouts out to his servants, Get my best robe, put it on him. It's a mark of sonship. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. That's belonging. This is party time. This son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. It's the surprising part of the story. It's the part of the story that no one expected, and it shows what amazing grace looks like. It's, it's a snapshot of the heart of our Heavenly Father and how it beats for anyone who returns to Him. When we return, our Heavenly Father doesn't rehash all the wrongs, He rejoices that we've returned. And this story answers a question that so many of us struggle with at some point or another. The question is this, have I just gone too far? Have I passed the point of no return? Am I beyond the boundary line of God's grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness? And the answer is no, you haven't. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter how much of a mess of things you've made. When, when we return, our heavenly Father receives us. And he doesn't just kind of like let us through the door and, you know, put us out on the side. He embraces us, not as servants, but as sons and daughters, full parts of the family. So I don't know, in my mind, I think maybe the son's biggest mistake, it wasn't his rebellion. It wasn't all these wrong choices, this bad road he went down. I think his biggest mistake was was underestimating the extent of his father's love. He failed to fathom how much his father loved him. Maybe we do that too. See, the father's love This picture we see here in this parable is of an unconditional love. It's a love that doesn't stop loving us when we blow it. It's a love that doesn't disown us when we disown him. He doesn't stop loving us. And that is the kind of love I expect every one of us in this room need. We need that. And that's the kind of love that's bound up in the very nature of who God is. And so the question is Is there space in your life for a God like that? Can you dare to believe in a God with a love so fierce? I have a feeling for many of us, we want to believe that God is like that, but it's a struggle. It almost sounds too good to be true. No, it couldn't be. And part of the reason is that it's hard to believe in a God who loves us unconditionally when we live in a world where we're just surrounded by people who, who love conditionally. And we love conditionally. We, we try not to, but we love with strings attached. Instead of, I love you no matter what, a lot of times it's, i love you so long as. And once that contract is broken, it's game over. In our world, love is earned, it's not offered. And that's part of the challenge reconciling with a God who loves that fiercely. That, the story's not over here. The father has a second son. He's mentioned at the start of the story, and now he comes into full view because he's struggling. With his father's grace, with the extent of grace his father is willing to pour out, he sees it. And he says, "That is just not right. We've got to deal with this, and we're going to find out that we don't just have one lost boy in this story. There's two lost boys. There's one loving father who are both coming to terms with who he is. Well, let's read the the last part of the story. It says this. Now, his older son was in the field and. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This other son is struggling. He, he, he He's he, he can't share in his father's joy. The father's rejoicing, he's celebrating and the son is on the outside, he can't get in on it because in his mind, his brother blew it and he didn't. And yet, look at what's happening to him versus look at what's happening to me. That's not how it should be. The way it is is my brother blew it, that's it. He's out, I'm in. And that's kind of where the Pharisees were at. Right, that's why they were avoiding those undesirable people. And the father in this story graciously reaches out to to not just one son, but to both sons, listening and patiently sharing his heart. Here's the challenge. If you don't get grace, if you see the father's favor as something that can be earned, that's something that's deserved. Then Jesus isn't going to make sense to you. What about me? I stayed. I did the right thing. I kept the rules. Where's, where's, part, where's, where's my party? We can all wrestle with this. When we see how gracious God is with those who need it, those other people, you have to watch out because it's at that point where resentment can start creeping into our own hearts. And resentment is what keeps us from sharing in the Father's love. So please be reminded there is no contest for grace. There's no shortage of grace. All of us need it. And all the grace that we need, our Heavenly Father has. And is willing and ready to pour it out. The moment we make it about who deserves it more, we lose it. It slips through our fingers because here's the thing. It's not about how good we've been and it's not about how bad they've blown it. It's about our heavenly father. That's what it's about in his amazing grace. Nothing more, nothing less. He wants our hearts to beat with his. He wants us to join him in his celebration Don't turn those who are far away from him away. Turn to them, love them the same way that he does. Receive his grace and all the grace that you need is found in him and and then reflect that grace. Learn how to love others the way that our heavenly father loves each one of us. And to do that, that leads us from, from this story about a father and a son to to another story about a father and a son. This story happened on a hill called Calvary. Jesus, God's son, hung on a cross and he paid the price for my rebellion for all the times we walked away from our heavenly father. But his story didn't go the way this story went with the prodigal son. Unlike the father in this story, they're on the cross, the Father turns away from him. Jesus cried, "Father, Father, why have you forsaken me?" And we know why. He was forsaken so we would be forgiven. We're the reason that moment happened so prodigal sons and prodigal daughters like you and like me could know for sure that we're received when we come to our heavenly father, that that goodness will never be shut down, that his grace will always be enough and that all that we have will be found in him. When we return, he receives us. Let's pray together.